Gills presents Intellivision. Intelligent television by Mattel. More sophisticated than any video game that has come before. Providing hours of entertainment for the entire family. Intellivision, with one of the clearest game displays available today. Find this system, plus a complete line of sports and video game cassettes at Hills, where our game is low prices every day. Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game. See if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 124. Thanks for listening. As you know, if you listen to episode 123, this month we are not looking at Atari games, we are looking at Intellivision. We have wandered into the Intellivision wilderness and are desperately seeking a way out. Perhaps that way is through this week's game, which we'll get to in just a minute. But first, we have to do our obligatory Mad Mike Hughes update. So let's see what increasingly boring thing he's up to now. Mad Mike, of course, uh, for you regular listeners, is the limo driver in California who was on a quest to prove that the Earth is flat by launching himself into space aboard a homemade rocket. He has abandoned... eh, he would quibble with that word, but he pretty much seems to have abandoned that quest, although he's still asking for money, and now he seems to be preoccupied with building a really fast boat. So let's see what sort of nonsense he's up to now. So on May 26th on Facebook, he told us that the producers of the movie, which I think is supposed to be called The Chronicles of Mad Mike Hughes, One Man, which I gotta be honest, is a stupid title. Of course he's one man, unless he has multiple personality disorder which he has not mentioned. Presumably he does not, which is why they're calling the movie One Man. So that's what he told us on the 26th. The trailer will be coming any day now. May 31st, he said, we're just waiting for the producers to finish the trailer and the website. He also says that it looks like CBS would be coming out to film a piece for Sunday morning, and they should have the details worked out on part two of the upcoming movie. The comments on that, well, somebody invites Mad Mike to come on their podcast, Someone else comments, I hope you are genuine, Mike. We would still all be living in caves if it wasn't for guys like you. Someone wanted to know if the movie was a sequel to Walter Mitty. That's pretty funny. That is the most recent update as of today. What is today? June 4th for me, as I'm recording this, I guess. All right, the Earth is still flat. There's no movie yet. I guess maybe he's going to be on the Sunday morning CBS show. Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath for that, but maybe. So that's what's going on there. If any of you happens to see Mad Mike on TV or hear him on a podcast, let me know. What else is going on? Well, it's in television month here on the podcast, this podcast. So this article caught my eye. This is a May 29th article from VentureBeat.com. The title is, Intellivision Lives. Tommy Tallarico will relaunch 1980s console. Talks about how Tommy Tallarico, perhaps that's a name I should know. I don't really. Uh, some of you may know who that is. 
he grew up with the Intellivision, and Intellivision was a game console that gave uh, from Mattel that gave Atari a run for its money in the early 80s. This Tommy Tallarico apparently has, has acquired the rights to the console and original games and plans to relaunch it as a retro brand. Notes here that Nintendo and Atari are both taking advantage of a wave of nostalgia. This podcast is also doing that. Tallarico apparently gave an exclusive interview to GamesBeat. He himself is a veteran video game developer and musician who heads Video Games Live, a concert company that travels the world and plays orchestral music from video games before live audiences. He bought a stake in television productions from former owner and founder Keith Robinson, who died in 2017. He has relaunched the Irvine, California-based company as Intellivision Entertainment. The new Intellivision system, named to be announced, will carry on the company tradition of firsts, with new concepts, designs, and approach to gaming, which tells us nothing, obviously. They quote Tellerico as saying, I see a huge gaping hole in the market now with families in the home. We will be focused. We will not try to compete with Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, which is probably wise. Uh, That's me. Uh, He says that would be insane, and we would need a billion dollars. Details will be released on October 1st, which seems weirdly specific, but okay. You can subscribe to updates at their website. The team is developing a new controller as well. The console will not match the capabilities of modern consoles, and it won't be expensive. That's a strange thing to say. This thing that we're going to make you give us money for isn't going to be as good as something you can buy new now. There will be 10 games ready at launch, and the machine will run an emulator to play the old games. We won't run Netflix, we're not trying to do 3D. So yeah, he's doubling down on the nostalgia thing. The system will connect to Wi-Fi, and will have a store that will allow you to download games on an SD card. They want to bring back simple, affordable family and fun into the homes of consumers with the introduction of a brand new home video game console. Wants to target everyone from hardcore fans and non-gamers who might have played in television years ago with many of the original games that ran on the brand's various consoles. The original television system generated many firsts in the video game industry, including the first 16-bit gaming machine, the first gaming console to offer digital distribution, the first to bring speech voice to games, the first to license professional sports leagues and organizations, and the first to be a dedicated game console and home computer. Wary of over-promising, like Atari, Tallarico said he won't give a target date for the launch of the hardware yet. Wait, didn't he do that already? Oh, I guess he just said October 1st was the... I guess he announced that October 1st is the day that they will announce. Something. Or maybe not. Coincidental to this episode of the podcast, I just noticed, the article I'm reading on VentureBeat includes a photo of... James Parsons, in the character of Sheldon from Big Bane Theory, with the caption, it's hard to see on his shirt, although now I can see it, I guess. The caption is, above TV actor Sheldon Cooper, which actually isn't the actor's name, that's the character's name, wears an Astro Smash t-shirt, which was one of Intellivision's games, which we know, and we'll talk more about in a minute. So there you go. Alright, so we maybe have a new Atari coming someday, and also we maybe have a new Intellivision which sounds an awful lot like they're taking the old Intellivision hardware and putting it in a new case and putting it out for sale to do nothing more than it could do 30 years ago, but I'm going to guess with a very 2018 price tag. So, if that excites you, uh, put October 1st on your calendar, because as I said, Tallarico has announced that that's the day that he's going to announce something. I got some feedback to the Intellivision Burger Time episode from last week, episode 123. Blow Your Mind 14 on Twitter, which is the Twitter handle for Champ and Klein. They are podcasters 
as well. They do a show that I listen to frequently called Mullets and Memories, the MacGyver podcast about MacGyver, as they put it. And they have other shows as well. And they are also followers of my Twitter feed. Uh, And they noted, uh, I don't know which one of them actually wrote this, but they say that in television was my jam growing up. This was my system. No Atari in my house. I, of course, was a uh, bi gaming gamer. As a young kid, I had both Intellivision and Atari. I wrote back to blow your mind that uh, Intellivision has much to offer, but my heart belongs to Atari, uh, which would be why I called this podcast Atari Bytes, not Intellivision Bytes. On Facebook, I also heard from Mark Super, which I would be happy to tell you about if I could get Facebook to come up. Ah, there it is. Referring to episode 123 again, uh, the Intellivision Birder Time episode, he wrote, Thanks for, for providing one of my favorite moments in any podcast ever. I laughed out loud at Henry's bit about wishing that it was actually birder time. Now everyone on the bus thinks that I'm weird. And then he kind of recreates the bit a little bit. Are you judging the time that I want to eat hamburgers? Which I think was Henry's comment, to which I said something to the effect of, No, I'm not judging you for wanting hamburgers. And then Henry responded something like, Never cross me! Uh, yeah. If you haven't listened to 123 yet, Henry returned as my occasional co-host, and he was in rare form for the episode, so... If you're familiar with my son's work on the podcast, you kind of have an idea what you're in for. So uh, buckle up and uh, get ready. Go check out 123 if you haven't already. All right. Well, thanks, Mark and uh, Champ and Klein. Keep the comments coming. All right. Well, with that, let's drag Sheldon out here in his T-shirt and talk about this week's game. This week's game is Astro Smash from Mattel, 1981. Basically... I could summarize this by saying that Astro Smash is like asteroids for the Atari, except your ship doesn't actually go anywhere. But for the sake of completion, let me look at the manual. The manual tells us, this guy is falling. Chicken Little was right. You're the laser battery commander in here. They come. An attack of multicolored meteors with an occasional spinning bomb that will blow up one of your guns if you let it land. And, to really make life interesting... Some guided missiles and an attack UFO. As your score goes higher, so does the excitement. There were way too many exclamation points in that paragraph for what you actually get on screen, if you ask me. The object of the game is to hit as many meteors, bombs, missiles, and flying saucers as possible without being hit yourself. As as your score grows higher, the game speeds up and gives you more challenge. Take turns with your friends to see who can get the highest, quote, peak score, end quote. There are four skill levels, which you can choose when you see the game title. Press the return to play at the top level. Press 1 for auto-fire, which is the easy level. 2 is single shot, to play in an easier level. And 3 is hyperspace, to play at the easiest level. Which, for this game, I gotta assume means the meteors and bombs and whatnot blow themselves up. Press return to start the game. Any side button on the controller will fire your laser battery. Auto-fire mode, press the 1 on the keypad. Single-shot mode, press 2. Hyperspace, press 3. Move left, you push the left side of the disc. Move right, push the right side of the disc. Move your active laser gun left and right by pressing the disc, as we said. When you are under a falling rock or other object, fire by pressing any side action button or auto-fire, which means that it will shoot. the computer will shoot three times each second. For rapid-fire, use single-shot mode. Keep depressing the space bar and tap the disc. Hit as many rocks as you can. Everyone that lands reduces your score. Be sure to hit every white spinner. Try to hit or avoid guided missiles and attacking UFOs, which appear when your score is over 20,000 points. Every time your peak score goes up another 1,000 points, you get another laser gun in your arsenal. 
Uh, the score you can get ranges from 10 points to 100 points. 10 for a big rock, 100 for a UFO, which appears on level 4 and above. Your score goes down by 5 points when a big rock lands, goes down by 10 points when a small rock lands, and when your gun is hit or a spinner lands, you lose 100 points. Point values are multiplied by the level number. You can do the math on that. Note, everything speeds up and you have more targets and attackers moving faster at the higher scores, especially when the total passes 100,000, 200,000, 500,000, and 1 million points. Uh, when you hit a rock, it breaks up into two, and you want to hit both of those, obviously, which gives you twice as many points as the original big rock. Hit every one of the white spinners, big and small as you can, because if it lands, you lose a laser gun. And when you lose all your laser guns, obviously, the game is over. Pulsating guided missiles seek out your active laser gun and blow it up on impact. If you can get directly under a GM while it is correcting course and shoot it, if you can. If the missile gets to the ground, sometimes it will home in on your laser, flying horizontally. If this happens, your only chance of escape is to go into hyperspace! Exclamation point. Which allows you to move instantly to another place. But, like I said, you're still on the ground. Unlike asteroids, for the Atari, you could go anywhere on the screen. If you do this when you're trying to avoid a guided missile, it will attempt to follow you, and you might have to go into hyperspace more than once, and risk finding yourself under a falling rock. Attacked UFOs appear occasionally when your score is over 20,000 points. They sweep across the screen, aiming huge bombs at your active laser gun. The bombs fall slowly enough for you to move out of the way, so keep moving. Try to get directly beneath the UFO and directly beneath the UFO. That doesn't make any sense. Try to get directly beneath the UFO and shoot it down. Don't shoot at falling rocks that are very close to your active gun laser because the explosion may produce shrapnel and blow up your gun. There is an interrupt code. Press 1 and 9 simultaneously if you need a break in the action. Restart by pressing either disc. That's it. That's really all there is to the game. Astro Smash was designed by John Soule and released by Mattel Electronics in 1981. It sold more than a million copies and was among the top five best-selling in television games. A free-by-mail offer with the purchase of a master component boosted Astro Smash sales figures. It also benefited from other promotions in the U.S. and Canada, including a high-score contest where top scorers across the U.S. were flown to Houston for the finals. A cut-down version of Astro Smash, although I can't imagine how you could cut it down anymore, was released for the Atari 2600 under Mattel's M Network label as Astro Blast. So I guess the cut-down part was you're not so much smashing your enemies as you are sort of blasting them. Which, I guess, is different? I don't know. The Intellivision game catalog features the exciting caption, Spin, blast, and drop into hyperspace to avoid a killer asteroid shower. Power on attack, computer engaged. Fire a quick burst in the, at the alien antagonist. Got him! End quote. The packaging describes the game thusly. You're in command of a battery of laser guns. You have unlimited ammo and a lot of targets. You can roll up big scores by hitting a spectacular barrage of falling rocks, bombs, guided missiles, and attacking UFOs. End quote. Astro Smash resembles a cross between Space Invaders and Asteroids. That's fair. I think I referred to Asteroids. I have, I'm sure, already repeatedly, and I do some more in the field report. But I can see the uh, Space Invaders element, too. Astro Smash was originally conceived when a game called Meteor, an Asteroids clone, did not fill up the ROM space on an entire cartridge. The extra space was used to create a variation of the game called Avalanche. The Meteor game was cancelled at the last minute due to concerns that it was too similar to Asteroids. John Soule programmed a branch around the opening screen menu, leading directly to the Avalanche variation, retitled Astro Smash. The games were compatible since they were designed together and used the same sprites and sound effects. 
In rare instances, if the console's reset button is pressed rapidly, an error can occur, resulting in the game starting in the original Meteor format. Meteor released a game for the 2600, renamed Astro Blast, featuring faster play than the Intellivision original. Video Magazine in 1982 described Astro Smash as an obvious attempt to provide Intellivisionites with a solitaire arcade-style target game. The pacing in the early stages is described as dull and plodding, although later in the game the pace becomes much more challenging. The color coding of stages corresponding with difficulty level and player score was described as not a bad idea. Okay, so that's what they were doing. I think in the field report I talked about how pretty the uh, star fields are. Uh, black at one point, and then blue, purple. Uh, I thought they were just cha changing the scenery, but I guess maybe they are trying to indicate a change in levels. Reviewers noted that the grayish-blue used for the 1000 to 4900 point range is especially odious, and described this hue as assaulting the optic nerves. So, the reviews are pretty lackluster, but was recommended as probably worth a try for Intellivision users seeking a new experience. Eight months later, in video's 1982 Guide to Electronic Games, Astro Smash was described as, quote, probably the most popular action game produced by Mattel for play on the Intellivision. DefunctGames.com wrote in their analysis that Intellivision was worried about copyright infringement, that Mattel was worried about copyright infringement with Atari, so they figured since Atari had the rights to Space Invaders and Asteroids, they could mash the two together, and Atari couldn't say jack about it. This Frankenstein's monster was called Astro Smash, and is much more than the sum of its parts. Don't go into Astro Smash looking for plot, character, or deeper meaning. I think I mentioned at one point in the episode already, or maybe it's in the field report, I kind of routinely ignore advice like that. So this whole podcast is built around looking for plot, character, and deeper meaning in these games. So thanks for the advice, but no thanks. This writer says, here's all you need to know. You control a land-based turret. Rocks and other objects are falling out of the sky. Shoot them. In fairness, that's pretty much all you need to know to play the game. The disparate elements of the game, from space invaders and asteroids, come together to make something fresh. The difficulty ramps up at a very smooth pace, and when the sky changes color at certain point thresholds, it feels just as rewarding as snagging an Xbox achievement. Mattel put its best foot forward technically. The sound effects are loud but work. The only time they get annoying is in the sound effect used for the satellites, which sounds like the downward whistle always used when Wiley Coyote would fall off a cliff, would be slowed down for the slower falling ones. The whistle blares so badly that you want to nail that satellite just to shut the sound off. Out of all of Intellivision's games that have showed up again and again on the various compilations, this is the one that deserves the most playtime. The video game critic writes that after Asteroids became a huge hit, Mattel needed an answer to that, and what they came up with was pretty good. Astro Smash is a fast-paced shooter, combining elements both Asteroids and Space Invaders. The action is non-stop, and a handy auto-fire feature unleashes three shots per second. Sweet! Obliterating Asteroids is a blast, and their explosions even incinerate other objects in the vicinity. To discourage the player from becoming passive, the game deducts points whenever the asteroids reach the surface, so your final score is actually your peak score. For the first few minutes, Astro Smash is the best game you've ever played. Wow. But over time, it wears out its welcome. The game drags on far too long, and after 20 minutes or so, you grow weary of it all. The main culprit is an overabundance of lives, one awarded every thousand points. Even in advanced stages, the game seems to replenish ships as fast as you can destroy them. I also noticed that the animation gets choppier and the collision detection suffers as you progress. It's still a good game, but I prefer the Atari version of Astro Smash, known as Astro Blast. I think I concur with everything both those reviewers said. 
Uh, except maybe the part about the first few minutes feel like the best game you've ever played. I agreed with the reviewer who said that the first few minutes is kind of a plodding slog. I think I talked about this last week. I'm still trying to decide if I like the keypad controller on the Intellivision better, the same, or less than I like the standard joystick on the Atari. I don't know if it's really a comparison so much as, you know, apples and oranges. I mean, it, clearly you can transfer games, gameplay for certain games like Astro Smash and Astro Blast between Atari and Intellivision and still have good gameplay with different controllers. So, I don't know, using a joystick and the orange fire button I think would work just as well with this kind of game as it does with the keypad. Maybe even better because the problem with the keypad, of course, is you, every once in a while you have to look down at the keypad away from the screen to press whatever you need to press, whether it's the hyperspace uh, or doing some sort of spraying the, the pepper in birder time or whatever. I suppose after enough play, it gets to be like anything else and it's just sort of sense memory and you know where to press without thinking about it. But when you're starting out with some of these games, you're having to look away from the screen uh, more than you would if it's just a joystick and a fire button. I found an old article from the AtariTimes.com in 2600 versus in television. The world's first console war has only begun. Atari was released as the first widely popular cartridge game console in 1977. It was a fabulous machine that introduced gaming to the masses and made home computers seem like a new possibility. Released in 1979, initial sales of Intellivision were promising and Mattel put forth a full planned assault in in marketing the likes of which wasn't seen again for a long time. But in retrospect, which machine is better? Because 2600 was released earlier, its hardware capabilities don't seem as powerful as Intellivision. Mattel always claimed that Intellivision had high-resolution graphics and better sound capabilities, but it has always been apparent that the 16-bit CPU performs considerably slower than the 2600s. Earlier action titles are sluggish, and that may have turned off some arcade enthusiasts. Like any hardware, the Intellivision programmers found ways to squeeze extra performance out of the system, but of course the same can be said for the 2600 and later titles made the hardware gap between it and the television seem much smaller. 2600's controller is delightfully simple, one button and a direction stick. Adequate for most games, except things like Star Raiders, which need an additional keypad. The Intellivision controller has a built-in keypad and 16 directional pad and two action buttons, which means it supported more complex gameplay. It even had a series of add-ons, including a computer module, voice synthesizer, and an adapter to play 2600 games. In the end, Intellivision had the more impressive hardware. But a console is only good as its games. Intellivision had a respectable 125 games available, but the 2600 has a library nearing quadruple digits, and is filled with quality arcade ports. Intellivision had no more than 25 arcade ports, and all of them are already available on the 2600. It is very apparent the 2600 has much better selection of titles. Atari was always known for having really cool commercials for things like Pole Position or Mario Brothers. Mattel wasn't afraid to show side-by-side comparisons of the 2600 and Intellivision in their TV ads and print ads. Atari even fought back with advertisements saying that the competition doesn't stack up with a picture of a stack of 2600 games next to a console. Atari wins this category because Mattel Marketing wasn't able to successfully sell the Intellivision to consumers. So Atari Times concluded, Enthusiasts will forever argue as to which console is better, but it's easily apparent that the 2600 won the first console war with its great library of games, strong marketing, and flexible hardware. If any of you guys have thoughts about that, let me know.
Alright, well, despite what the one reviewer said, where you shouldn't go looking for characters and plots and deeper meaning in television games, we're going to do just that. After the break, what do you get if you put a spacesuit on the Hulk? An Astro Smash! Before you question that joke, just remember how much you paid to get in here. Jimmy, I didn't think you were ever going to answer the phone. Do you know how many times I had to walk to the kitchen, to the only phone in the house, and call you and it rang and rang and you didn't answer? What? Oh, you finally got your hair feathered. Awesome. And then you stopped at Woolworths and got a members only jacket? Cool. Yeah, so anyway, I was at Happy Joe's and they had this amazing new game. It's called Asteroids. It was so cool. Yeah, and then we stopped at the uh, Kmart, and they had Astro Smash on sale. Well, no, it, it's for the Intellivision. I don't have Atari yet. No, it looks just like Asteroids. Get on your bike and come over here and play it. What could you possibly have to do that's better than this? DVDs haven't been invented yet, so it's not like you can binge watch Dukes of Hazard or anything. All right, see you in a few minutes. So, right off the bat, I really like the look of this really simple 1981 game. I like the star field in the background, it's kind of pretty. The asteroids, I guess, look like asteroids, basically the same thing you would see in the game Asteroids. Um, the problem with it is Astro Smash is like asteroids, except Okay, the exploding laser battery is pretty cool what you probably just heard if the mic picked it up. The spinning bombs uh, don't really do much for me. I guess they spin, you know, as advertised. Uh, I'm doing single shot right now. I can be super lazy and put it on auto fire, which maybe is a good idea since I'm talking over the game. Uh, but yeah, the big problem with it is asteroids adds a level of danger to it because you're floating among the asteroids hyperspace, you know, shoots you across the screen, potentially, potentially into the path of more asteroids. You can hyperspace in this game, too. Okay, now the starfield just turned blue. I wonder if it's supposed to be, like, day and night. Like you're fighting, you know, 24-7, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, anyway, you can hyperspace in this game, except it just moved you left or right. Uh, it's sort of not as dramatic as it could be. Uh, I've got a ton of ship, laser batteries, I should say, reserve. Even though I've only got 2,700, 2,900 points so far. Um, Asteroids, not the most compelling game, but there's enough to it to keep you going for a while. This game, honestly, gets pretty boring pretty fast. Um, like I said, it looks decent for 1981. Whoa, the uh, uh, asteroids are going faster now. I don't think they really make it clear why there are occasional spinning bombs amongst the asteroids, but okay. As with most of the games of this era, it's best not to ask questions. Uh, 
advice I routinely ignore for 124 episodes of the podcast now. Well, not, I, I have yet to lose a laser battery. I'm going to get a gold star from my commander. Whoa, that was like an asteroid with an asteroid on top of it. If you're experiencing asteroids on top of your asteroid, please see the proctologist. That hurt. Actually, I guess I had lost a leg. That was my second one. We're going fast now. Alright, I admit that things are starting to pick up and become a little bit more interesting now. It was moving pretty slow before. Hey, that was a sneak asteroid attack. Now it's sort of, the sky is sort of purple. What's going on there? Stars are still there. Even when the sky was blue, the stars were still there. There's some weird atmosphere on this planet. Do we even know what planet we're on? So many questions that I shouldn't be asking. Spinning bomb, take two. A baby spinning That was cute. It wasn't the baby spinning bomb that got me. I was too busy watching that, and an asteroid got me. Alright. I'll get myself to 10,000 points. And then we'll probably go for this field report. Sound good? You don't have any choice. But I just could just fast forward through this. That was cool. It was one of those little bombs that go beep, beep, beep. That was my eerie recreation. Hope you liked it. About to 10,000. Well, I have so many extra guys now that they just put one laser battery and then number nine after it. Rather than a whole line of laser batteries. Alright, that's I'm well past 10,000 points now. That's enough of this nonsense. Back to the studio. On that note. So here's the thing about Astro Smash. I've kind of covered it already. It looks kind of pretty, but it's a little frustrating that you're playing asteroids even though you can't really go anywhere. It gets super repetitive, super fast. It helps a bit when the asteroids speed up, but even then, I mean, in the field report, I got myself up to 10,000 points, and I was ready to be done playing, uh, partly for length of the episode, but also, I was just kind of done shooting stuff in Astro, Astro Smash. I was ready to move on to something else. And that's kind of the problem with the game. It gets boring pretty fast, no matter how pretty it is. Thank goodness, though, we're not just reviewing the game on this episode. We're looking for that deeper meaning. Or we're looking to say silly, uh, poetic, rappy... Is rappy a word? Let's just say it is. Type things. So, with that in mind... Here is the Astro Smash dance. All right, stop what you're doing, because Meteor is about to ruin the home and planet that you used to. I look funny, 
but yo, I command a laser battery. So your world is hoping on me. Now gather round, cause those missiles coming down. And those spinning bombs pounding underground. I scoop up all the ammo on your weapon shelf. So just let me introduce myself. I am Commander, but you can call me Astro Smasher. Yo, Chicken Littles, I'm gonna save thee. And all you spinning bombs, let me torque thee. I'm stepping to the lasers, y'all. And just like Yar got revenge, see, flying saucers gonna fall when I thump these. I like to climb. Beating alien butt is so funky. I'm spunky. Those aliens are lumpy. I'm sick with this. Guns laser smack. But sometimes my skills are ridiculous. Blowing up space headquarters and yo space bus. Hey yo aliens, do you go squish? Yeah, I said that. Look at me, I command the battery. You're a freak. I like my laser guns, they go boom. I once made a whole alien battalion kaboom. I'm crazy, allow me to amaze thee. They say I won't, but I'll totally phaser thee. I'm still stomping all the space ants, and I even got my own laser command dance. The Astro Smash is your chance to smash the ass, tro. Do the Astro Smash. Come on and do the Astro Smash. Do the Astro Smash. Just watch me do the Astro Smash. Do you know what I'm doing? Doing the Astro Smash. Do the Astro Smash. Do the Astro Smash. Once again, I feel compelled to remind you, you really didn't pay anything to get in here. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers. You know that by now. Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio is still a thing, right? Basically, the podcast is all over the place. Uh, But if you find a podcatcher that doesn't have it and you want it to be on there, let me know and I will see if there's a way to make that happen. Uh, But... Above all, remember to smash your way through iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it is and leave a review visible from the astral plane so that other listeners, potential listeners, can find this show. You had to suffer through the Astro Smash dance. Make other people do the same. You can support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, which I hope you'll consider doing. You can also pick up Atari Bytes merchandise, shirts and t-shirts that, you know, talk about how you should go play some old games they miss you, uh, and other stuff, at our Zazzle.com store, which is helpfully named capital A, capital B, underscore pod, underscore store. Links to Zazzle store, Patreon, and all of that will be in the show notes. The website is ataribytes.libson.com. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. You can like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Hit us up on Instagram, too. And if you're in the mood, if you're not tired of my voice already, don't forget to check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. For all your Peanuts gang needs. Want to know about the comic strip? We do that. Want to talk about TV specials? Absolutely. Uh, The Peanuts films? the life and mind of Charles Schultz, the penis creator. We do it all over there at It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. Go listen to that show. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. The next episode drops on Father's Day. So we're going to play in a television game based on America's pastime, 
a, a favorite pastime of dads all over the place. And one of the few games that my dad would actually sit down and play. We're going to check out baseball. So look forward to that show next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. <laughs>